welcome back to Blue and Gold, a Superman and Booster Gold podcast. Although, as you just heard, we had Huey Lewis, so that uh, up first, so that means we're going to be talking about Booster Gold first. So today I'm going to be covering, talking about Booster Gold number five, volume one number five, and Booster Gold volume one number six, picking up where I left off last time. But I just want to give a shout out before I get into dive into any topics. I want to give a shout out to Peach Mellow Yellow Zero. Oh my God, this is the best pop ever. I'm addicted to it. It's um, If any of you are familiar with the Coca-Cola Freestyle Machines, they're those machines, the vending machines. They're not vending machines, but like you'll see them <clears throat> where um, some places, some restaurants have them instead of a regular um a regular fountain drink they have these freestyle machines and you know them when you see them because they look kind of futuristic and you can pick like a hundred different flavors i mean really it's probably 15 or so 15 to 20 base flavors and then you can have flavors on top of it so for instance a base flavor might be coke zero and then you can have uh lemon coke zero or or vanilla coke zero and so my favorite pop of all time is the is the mellow yellow zero peach flavor so that's the that's how you would describe it if you were gonna look at it and find it on the machine because first you would need to select the mellow yellow zero and then select peach but i always call it i'm gonna go get i'm gonna you know, I'm telling the family, I'm going to go get a peach mellow yellow and they know what I'm talking about. So the, the peach always leads the, when I'm describing the pop or like, you know, the peach mellow yellow zero is my favorite pop is what I'll tell people. Um, but just a shout out, I have a giant one right here. I just took a big sip of that. It's so good. I get the giant size. So, but it's only at various locations or, you know, certain locations. If you have a firehouse subs by you, firehouse subs appears to have um a, a deal with coke to have the freestyle machines and wendy's i believe wendy's has um wendy's and Cadoba, the mexican burrito place Cadoba, ha um so wendy's is actually the closer drive for me but due to coronavirus the uh lobby is still closed and so oh no the lobby's open but they just for safety and, sanita and sanitation reasons they don't allow people aren't allowed to get their own um, drinks and I typically don't want or you know the it's 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 interesting because behind the counter at Wendy's like if you were go if you were to go through the drive-thru the behind the counter they just have like regular fountain drinks it's only in the lobby so if you were to go through the drive-thru it would be kind of a douche move to I guess tell the workers that you want a specific flavor because they have to have to go outside of the you know, outside into the lobby area to get your pop. Um, number one, it seems like a hassle for them, so I, I don't normally do it. I go the longer drive to Firehouse Subs here in my town. But also, if I was a worker, I'd probably be annoyed if somebody made that very specific request to go and get this pop, this special flavor. So who knows what they're going to do to your drink? It, I mean, probably, I mean, realistically, probably nothing. I'm not one of those people who thinks that if you return food, if your steak's overdone or underdone and you turn and you send it back, but the food you get back is going to have something done to it. But it, that's something that does stick in the back of your mind. But I just want to give a shout out to Mellow Yellow Zero. 
uh, peach flavor before we <laughs> dive in because I've been obsessed with it. I'm not obsessed, but it's been my favorite pop since probably about 2013. The only reason I can be so specific about that is because it was around the time that my son was born. My son was born in 2013, although I feel like it was winter time when I got introduced to it. So maybe maybe winter of 2013 or maybe winter of 2012 and my wife was pregnant. But either way, it's been a while. All right, let's dive into Booster Gold, Volume 1, Number 5. Here's the synopsis, written by me, by the way. So another peek behind the curtain is that I try to, I, I want to be enthusiastic about the podcast and and uh, enthusiastic about doing it. But one thing that is does not make me enthusiastic is writing synopses. And so I tried to find look find synopses for these issues for Booster Gold in particular. And I couldn't find a good website that had them and where I could blatantly steal. Although in the back of my mind, there is the, you know, nagging little, if you're going to do the podcast, just don't be a lazy, a lazy bastard and, and write the synopses yourself. But I did do a look for it and I couldn't find for the majority. I mean, if once you get to volume two, probably pretty good synopses, but volume one, I couldn't find. Um, shout out to the fantastic Booster Gold blog, Boosterific. They've promoted the this podcast before. Um, the one of the best Booster Gold, it, I mean, hands down, the best Booster Gold website and resource out there. And even then, I was gonna. Um, I thought about checking out the synopses that he had and crediting um, crediting the site if I were to use the synopses. But he he keeps them very brief. The synopses uh, for each issue. There, there. Well, first of all, there is a synopses for uh, synopsis. It's plural, synopses, either way. There's um, descriptions of each issue and um, on the website, but it keeps them very brief. They're only about uh, um, a couple sentences, maybe a short paragraph, and I want to be a little bit more thorough. You know, I don't need to be um, crazy long, but I want to be a little bit more thorough with my synopses. So even though it's probably my least favorite part is writing down a synopsis, I don't cover a comic like this all the time. I the past couple uh, episodes for Booster Gold, I have been, and so it, I actually don't have to write a synopsis like this all the time. And if I'm covering a number of issues, I'd be a little bit. I'm a little bit more brief, like I was when I covered the uh, um, the OMAC project and the Infinite Crisis uh, pieces uh, re- revolving around Booster. Those synopses I did definitely weren't as long, but they were a little bit longer. All right, so a synopsis for Booster Gold, issue one, number five. Mr. Twister holds uh, the hockey arena ransom for $3 million. He means business as he shoots a hockey player, and we actually see him laying on the ice with blood. Booster, with his cape, shows up to help. We cut to, and we cut to Trixie doing aerobics when Dirk stops by to tell her about the hostage situation. We learn that Trixie's name is Teresa, uh, spoken by her aunt, and Dirk is surprised that Trixie lives with her aunt. Her, Trixie's aunt tells her to go cover up. They have a gentleman caller. Cut back to Booster in the hostage situation, and Booster says if, if uh, Mr. Twister wants to punish someone, punish him, punish Booster. Mr. Twister says that he agrees, and that um, if Booster allows the players to beat him to death, he will stop what's going on. Booster uses this as a diversion to get Skeets into position to defuse the bomb, but Skeets can't do it. Booster flies the Zamboni-looking thing up into the atmosphere where it goes off, 
and it looks like Booster has perished. Trixie and Dirk are watching on TV. They're watching the situation unfold, and they hug each other when they realize he's alive. The Trixie and Dirk have a discussion, ultimately leading to that. Ultimately, the point is that they really don't know much about Booster at all. Booster flies back to his penthouse, and he falls asleep lamenting that he's lost everything while looking at some futuristic globe with female faces in it. One younger looking, one older looking. He's awakened by Trixie and Dirk. Dirk tells Booster that the tax case that was mentioned at the end of the last issue has been thrown out. Trixie asks about the orb, and Booster snatches it back and, and is told to cool down by Skeets. Enter the Booster Mobile, but not before a page catching uh, a page catching up with Senator Ballard. Upset, and he's upset that the tax case has been thrown out. He says that Booster ruined his life and destroyed his future. Booster is presented with the Breisler Booster Mark IV car in exchange for promotional services, of course. Booster goes on a joyride in the Booster Mobile. And the last page is a prologue for the next issue. An alien is is coming to Earth, headed for Metropolis. The teaser for next issue is The Origin, guest starring Superman. So, issue number five. Let's start off with the cover. The cover doesn't strike me as all that great. It's it's sort of a top-down, looking straight down at the situation, an explosion over the city, looking straight down, with Booster obviously caught in this explosion. And the text, and there's some text that the Booster Mobile is unveiled. Although, you know, I wrote down that the cover isn't all that striking, but then as I was writing that down for my notes, I was looking at it. The cover actually started to work for me more and more the more I was looking at it and it's got bright the explosion is the explosion is bright orange and the city the cityscape is sort of a muted color it really would probably pop on the stands looking at it um it especially pops in the I'm I'm, I'm reading these issues rereading them in the uh, booster gold the big fall hardcover and but even I went up and looked at my single issues, and while the pages are yellowing, the cover would it would probably still would pop off the newsstands and be something that would catch your eye. Um, it's it's pretty striking with the colors of the explosion and good contrast again with the with the muted colors of the building. Um, and and also the, there's some text that, that talking about meet meet Mister Twister. He's exploding with ideas. You know, obviously a reference to the bomb that he has. So the first page, I'm not going to go page by page, but the first page is a nice splash of Mr. Twister. He's not a villain we've ever met before, or at least that I'm familiar with. I don't, I'm not familiar with him. But we get, a, we, we get a pretty nice splash page looking, looking at him, uh, declaring that he's holding the city for ransom. And I do think that the name Mr. Twister is kind of a dumb name, though, um, but I, th- I think the character works throughout this issue. He's only been in about the first half of the issue is the hostage situation. Um, I was pretty surprised by the killing of the hockey player. There's um, a group of hockey players who, and one of them decides to try to be a hero, and Mr. Twister shoots him. And it's pretty graphic. I mean, relatively speaking. It's not, you see Mr. Twister in one panel, fire his gun, and then you see... You see the uh, the hockey player face down on the ice with a decent sized pool of blood around him, and so you know he's 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 dead, and he's been taken out, 
And this is kind of surprising. I wouldn't have thought that it's just a little bit more graphic than normally associated with comics. Typically, you might think that, especially superhero mainstream DC comics, um, especially older. I mean, this is um, approaching 30 years old now, or, you know, I'm uh, uh, 34 years old now, uh, approximately. And so this is, I mean, the comics code was waning, but it's still there, but... And the pool wasn't even colored anything. It was it was a pretty bright red, I thought. And so uh, no question what happened. And it was a civilian nonetheless. It wasn't even one of the heroes or a villain. You might expect to see this with a villain, but it was just a hockey player. No, I'm not a... I don't care. It wasn't a... I mean, I actually appreciate that there's a little bit of uh, uh, seriousness to the situation that it's not just a hokey comic book villain scenario. There's actually a, a death here. It worked for me, but I was just surprised at at that um the violence that was not implied where typically in comics serious violence especially uh blood and things is typically people will react to it but you may not see it on panel and and usually not by civilians so i as i mentioned i liked mr twister um but i'm not sure if he shows up again and then when Booster shows up, I, I got to call this out. I'm going to call it out until it stops just because I got to say Booster with a cape is ridiculous. It just maybe because I'm so used to it's been years. You know, he he has a, he rarely wears a cape, but I'm still in the early-ish issues of Volume 1 in my reread. And so he's still got that cape on. Still, um, I mean... There's a, there's some every now and then there's a panel that does make him look a little bit more regal maybe a little bit but in general I don't think the cape works and so I'm gonna keep calling it out so the cape's all over this issue. The Hostage exciting was pretty exciting I think uh, as far as uh, storylines that are resolved within a single issue uh, resolved within the first half of an issue um, it was pretty exciting um, booster. Um, Booster and Skeets devise a plan to distract Mr. Twister, and we think that Skeets is going to defuse the bomb, but it doesn't work. So Booster's got to fly this futuristic Zamboni-looking thing. I don't know what is why this thing looks like this. Why this? I mean, uh, why well, I don't know why it could couldn't have just been a regular Zamboni, but this looks a little cooler. A regular Zamboni wouldn't have um, popped off the page. This is kind of a cool. I mean. Yeah, I, unless I'm missing something, I definitely think it's supposed to be a Zamboni, but um, it's sort of a gold, futuristic-looking um, Zamboni. Um, so in between the hostage situation, we cut back a couple of times to Trixie, who's doing aerobics in her apartment when Dirk shows up. And I gotta say, I can't fault Dirk for, for maybe giving Trixie the eye and for um, Trixie's aunt telling her to cover up. Not that I want Trixie to cover up, but she's looking pretty good in her aerobic outfit. It's, uh, but those '80s leggings, <laughs> those '80s '80s leggings are pretty funny. Um, but Durgan's Durgan's draws a, a a striking Trixie in general, usually, and uh, in a aerobics outfit, uh, even more so. Um, this issue teases what we've. I'm going to discuss in next in the next issue teases Booster's origin with the orb, this futuristic orb. Think think like a uh, a crystal ball, uh, a uh, fortune teller's crystal ball, but without the base, just sort of the ball part. 
and uh, Booster says he's lost everything, and we see what we know to be his sister and mother. We know it now. You wouldn't have known it uh, reading this off the newsstands. Um, and he falls asleep lamenting about his that he's lost everything, and we're going to learn more about his origin. And, and, and Jurgens is teasing this throughout the issue because we get um, Trixie and Dirk discussing that they don't know anything about Booster really either and where he comes from or his his history, his origin. And so we we have these questions and we have um um subtly you have the uh where did this person show up from he's he's using these uh these phrases that are out of time and and when he does try to use some some pop culture you know phrases of the time he's getting them wrong and he's being corrected by skeets we've been getting this tease throughout the issues and um then we have uh more overtly the character is actually talking about Booster's origin in this issue, and then that gets resolved next issue, which we're going to get to in a minute. But I am pretty interested in where this Senator Ballard um, subplot is going because I don't remember where it goes. It's been a long time since I've read Volume 1 through, and so I don't remember where this goes or what Senator Ballard's issue with Booster is and and why he says that Booster Booster ruined his life. Um so I'm I'm sort of curious to see where this where this plays out and see where that goes. Uh the Booster Mobile is a pretty cool car. It sort of reminds me of an 80s Corvette, but it works maybe because well, What's funny is whenever I see 80s Corvettes out on the streets now, I think they how dated they look and they don't look that cool anymore versus i think like you know the older 60s and 70s corvettes the stingrays they they are they look pretty slick and they look cool even now um but i feel like the 80s corvettes just didn't age that well in terms of style and aesthetic and uh i mean they are definitely an 80s look and i think that's what that's what the breisler the uh the booster gold booster mobile looks like to me kind of like an 80s corvette but Within the comic, that because they're in the 80s, within this world, I think it's a pretty cool-looking car. Um, it would it, it, probably look dated if it was now, and it was drawn with modern art, and it's supposed to, and, and everything else was modern, but this is, it would be like a retro 80s look. Uh, but here, it's not retro at all. It's of the time, current, and it looks pretty slick. It's pretty slick. It's a pretty cool-looking car. Uh, you know, something that Booster would definitely want to be seen driving around in, and and uh, he gets it for promotional, uh, as long as he provides promo- promotional services. So whatever that means, uh, Breisler uh, is going to want um, definitely to have him associated with the Breisler name, the, the take on Chrysler. Um, and what's interesting, though, is that when you think of like a mobile, like a, a Batmobile, a supermobile, lesser known supermobile, when, when you think of a superhero mo- mobile, I typically think of like something that um, you wouldn't just find on the everyday on everyday streets. Something a little different. Like I mean, I know that there's depending on the version of the Batmobile. Sometimes it's been in the past just a sports car or a roadster in the fifties and, and things. But typically, I think when we think of Batmobile, we think of like the stylized nineteen eighty nine Batmobile, uh, the movie, or or Joel Schumacher, you know, Batman Forever or whatever, or the Tumbler. You think of something a little bit different that. Um, not just an everyday car or the supermobile, the uh, the Superman uh from the seventies that had the robotic arms that came out that 
I believe he was fighting Terra Man, I think. I'm not, uh, don't, if, if I'm wrong there, don't, uh, well, if I'm wrong, write in. I can picture the villain in my head, but I can't remember his name. But either way, we have the Booster Mobile, or the, the Supermobile, Superman is trying to, I believe the villain had kryptonite um, radiation, and so Superman needed to keep his distance. So he's got this car, he's got these punching arms, it's pretty silly. But, and so I, so I guess what I mean is you, I associate the cars with, with these fantastical elements that you wouldn't just find in everyday cars, but the booster mobile is just a regular car. <laughs> it's funny. It's just, I mean, it could be any old, it could be anybody's. I mean, it could be Dirk's car. It has a, um, some, some slogan, some booster slogan on the side of the car and whatnot, but it is still just a car and they, the issue ends. Uh, they go on a joyride. Booster and the 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 the, the representative from Bryceler. They go on a joyride. It's uh pretty cool. Uh, Booster kind of freaking the Bryceler guy out, and he he jumps over one of those bridges that um the roads that open for to let boats through. So um the bridge the bridge style that um will open. Uh, those are and uh, Booster jumps that. It's a pretty cool panel. I I think. Uh, pretty ballsy of uh, booster, and so we get the we we get the tease for next issue with the origin. All right, and so that's that's issue five. Before I move on to issue number six of volume one, I wanted to just sort of give some a couple of general thoughts that I wrote down while I was doing my notes here. Um, couple of general thoughts on Dan Jorgen's art in this volume. It's really good. But I'm surprised at how different the style is from, say, Death of Superman style Jurgens, which is what I really associate Jurgens with in my head is like that, the 1992-93 Superman Jurgens, and um, this art, the, the this Jurgens art um, throughout this volume, um, th- throughout uh, volume one, really doesn't. L- you could you wouldn't be surprised um, if somebody didn't know it was Dan Jurgens. Now in the Booster Gold, the Big Fall hardcover that I'm reading this in, the awesome I've talked about it before in the show. It's got collects the first twelve issues. We get an awesome um, Jurgens Ratmond cover um, for the hardcover, and that's definitely Dan Jurgens art. But then you flip to the inside, and it doesn't. It, 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 the art styles just don't match. So it's interesting. Um, the evolution uh, from ni- 1986 Dan Jurgens to like the 1992, which I think the 1992 he had pretty much honed his style I think, and I feel like you could look at a 1992 um, Death of Superman uh, Superman Volume Two issue and look at a uh, Action Comics Volume whatever it was uh, new um, Rebirth uh, Volume with Jurgens back on it and look and um, you would be able to tell from those covers, actually, Dan, bad, bad example, because Jurgens didn't usually do the interior art, but um, when he did, when Jurgens does the new, like, his art now, it has a style, like, it's, it's got a little bit sleeker, maybe, but you can still kind of tell it's Jurgens, um, even looking at, you know, 2017, 2018 Jurgens from, or actually, he was off by then, but um, either way, the newer newer Jurgens, I'd say, you know, just in the last couple of years versus uh, Death of Superman era, su- Superman Jurgens. But I think the um, volume one, Booster Gold volume one, the art is, doesn't, it, it's still good, but it doesn't, 
it doesn't look like Jurgens to me for the most part. And I, I wonder if that's Mike DiCarlo with the inks. I'm not sure. I'm not super familiar with Mike DiCarlo. And I think you can't get better than either Jurgens and Breeding, you know, the Superman era, or Jurgens and Ratmond uh, with, with Norm Ratmond um, doing the art or the inking or Brett Breeding back in the day. Um, all right. So those are some general art thoughts. Let's move on to. Booster Gold Volume 6. But first, I am going to have a sip of my uh, Peach Mellow Yellow Zero. All right, Booster Gold, Issue 6. Synopsis. Synopsis. We meet Jason Redfern, a boy, maybe 12, who, while riding his bike in the park, discovers a small little alien, literally a small, you know, action figure sized alien in uh, in a crashed in, in a mini crash ship he takes the alien back to his home and the alien speaks a language that jason can't understand but he projects an image of superman's crest letting jason know that he's looking for superman jason doesn't know how to get in touch with superman but while he's he sees a booster gold commercial on tv and he thinks that if he could get in touch with booster gold booster gold could get in touch with superman so Jason thinks that Booster Gold is easier to get in touch with. He he goes to Booster's office and meets with Booster. He's able to get up to the penthouse and um, you know, I mean, talks to Trixie at the desk, I believe. Um, I'm not sure. Or I forget. It might have been just been a, a receptionist at the Ralu Towers. I'm I'm not sure how to pronounce the the towers because Booster only has the top couple floors of this of, of this building. Ryu Towers, um, I think the L's are silent. It's you can look and you can look it up, uh, but I, it's spelled, I believe, R E I L L O U. Maybe that's not quite right, but either way, these Jason goes to Booster's office and meets with Booster, and they come up with a story, and he describes the the problem with the in this alien to Booster, and they come up, and Booster comes up, comes up with a story to get in touch with Superman. And he goes on the news and says that there's um, that there's an entire that the entire planet is in jeopardy, and Superman needs to meet them, meet Booster at the Baker Dam. Superman meets Booster and Jason at the dam, where he's upset that there is no emergency. Booster leaves upset, and Skeets recounts to Superman Booster's origin. He goes over that uh, Booster was a college football star, and there was a scandal involving Booster betting on games and his his games in particular. And because of this, he was expelled from Gotham University. And his mother and sister, who he lives with, are really upset at him. His father was a compuls of compulsive gambler, and it looks like Booster is going down this route as well. And he leaves home, and he and he went to Metropolis and got a job at the Space Museum. There he learned about the 21st century heroes, and he decides to go back in time and be a hero. And he takes Skeets, and he steals Rip Hunter's Time Sphere, power gloves, and control band, energy rods to power the suit, and a Legion flight ring, and a power suit. And... After recounting Booster's origin, Superman doesn't like the idea of a man becoming a superhero through theft, stealing stealing all the equipment. Booster wants to know what the big deal is. Superman chastises Booster for using his powers to get rich. 
After this, Z, the alien, the little micro-alien, um, speaks. And Superman can decipher little bits and pieces of this. And he understands that Z is saying there's a warship coming. And just then, there's an energy blast that knocks them out and beams them to their spacecraft. And in the next issue box, we learn that they're going to find themselves imprisoned on an alien planet. All right. So what do I think about issue six? Let's start with the cover. It's not a bad cover. Uh, we see sketches of Booster from a file. It looks like, I mean, we're literally looking at a desk, and there's files and pictures on the desk and a, and a pen and pencil, uh, a paperclip, and, and skeets, and the power glove, and Legion ring are on the desk as well. Sort of indicative of a design process because it's like the character models, like we see, like the booster, like what he would look like, you know, if a designer was trying to design booster, right? what he looks like from the front, I believe, what he looks like from the side, also. But it, it's a decent cover, but I would have liked to have, especially since he plays a big part in this, I would have liked to have seen Superman on, on this cover somehow and probably booster as well not just the files on the desk um i mean there's a thematic um thing that goes through that with, with this cover that we're going to talk about booster's origin in the issue so on the cover let's have a little bit of um of uh the the design process or in invoking the, the design process for a character which is also there's the character's origin and then, but then there's, we know he's a comic book character. Like, I mean, there's literally somebody, you know, um, Dan Jurgens out there drawing this character. And so it's sort of a little meta because we know this is a character who's created whole cloth and there had to be design um, that went into this character. And so that's what we see on this cover is the design sort of invocative of the design process of this character. I guess it could be the design for the booster this is just now hitting me maybe it's supposed to be the design for the booster gold comic because there's been the subplot running through the last few issues of they're getting a booster gold comic off the ground in the series by blaze comics i suppose this could also be the maybe the designs for the booster gold comic but either way it's i mean to be honest it's kind of a rather boring cover not too exciting and when you get it's a very important issue though one of the most important in booster's history it's uh, the first time that we get booster's origin now we get it a little bit better version a little bit more in-depth version and the secret origin issue um which i'll talk about in the future it's actually going to be um, included in the booster gold futures lost hardcover that's coming um in just a just a couple of weeks it gets released, I believe, the first week of of September. Although, with the way that I get my comics through DCBS, I get a monthly, so I probably wouldn't get it until the shipment in October. So it'll probably be another month or so before I get that. But I'm still working my way through the first hardcover, anyways, which came out a while ago. So it's not like I'm in I'm hurting for it. But I I would have liked a better cover. Uh, truthfully, and, and this and this is the issue that from the back matter from the hardcover, we know just how much changes had to happen to this issue. And this this is the issue that had um, tons of changes regarding the origin and where Booster came from. We know that this originally the plan was 
the booster series was happening pre-crisis and Dan Jurgens was plotting this, I suppose, before the crisis uh, on, on Infinite Earths was occurring. And I, I'm, I forget exactly how much detail I went into the previous issue where I was discussing the back matter uh, from this hardcover. But we learned that Superman and or um, Booster Gold and Jason would have gone to Superman's Fortress of Solitude and it was changed to a dam uh in, in Baker Dam in this issue. And it was really cool to see the pencils for them going to the Fortress of Solitude. I mean, the pre-crisis Fortress of Solitude with the gold key and everything. Very cool. I would have, I would love to see the finished version of this issue. If I, it probably didn't get to the finishing stages. I don't think, uh, I forget what the notes say in the back matter, but they would have gone to the Fortress of Solitude uh, Booster Gold, the entire origin really tied Booster to, to Superman even more. And so, being the Superman fan that I am, I would have loved to have Booster Gold's origin tied tied into Superman um, as as extensively as the original plan was. Because Booster was going to it was the Space Museum is what it turned out to be, but the original plan was Booster was going to work at the at the uh, Superman Museum in the future. And a lot of the things he was stealing were as related to Superman. The power gloves were going to be from Luther's uh, Lex Luthor's power suit, and the force, the force, uh, the force, the force uh, field powers would have come from Brainiac's uh, power belt. I believe it was uh, his his power belt and uh, Brainiac's force shield, and instead it ends up being Brainiac Five. So Jurgens tried to change it as little as he could i guess just by keeping it making it and, and there's already the legion ring so i guess having the um tying another part of the costume to the legion of superheroes sort of fits thematically but i would have loved 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 had booster just because he actually would have felt what's funny is that what he he would have felt like a, a superman family character to me then he would have been so tied in that he would have been, I mean, maybe that would have been a problem. Oh, I, I would have loved it because he would have been so tied to Superman. And uh, we see these pencils in the back of the book for these for these pages, and we see these booster at the at the Superman Museum, and we see Lex Luthor's power armor there, and and we get and we see Brainiac in the back, in in the back behind Booster, and in, uh, in on one page, and we see. The Silver Age, his classic look with the uh, the purple and purple and pink look, right next to the robotic 1970s sort of revamp revamp of Brainiac, and it just would have been it would have been so cool to have that. And who knows what stories could have spawned from that, uh, and having Superman and Booster that tied. I mean, he would have felt like a, a Superman family member outright, I think. Which part of me is like, well, I kind of like Booster being on his own, but it being the big Superman fan that I am, it was still would have been cool. Um, I like the post-crisis version of Superman, but it is a bummer that because of things that happened because of the post-crisis, uh, because of the crisis on Infinite Earths and John Byrne coming in, it, it had to change Superman's origin. And uh, it's, it's just cool to see uh, Booster Gold in the original pre-crisis Fortress of Solitude. Because that hasn't happened in comics, uh, just because Booster, due just due to timing, was a, a 
post-crisis character. Now I pointed out, I point out here or there when I really feel like the pre-crisis is slipping through the early writing. I'm pointed out in issues, uh, in issue, I believe it was issue one or issue two, where it really felt like Jimmy was a, Jimmy Olsen was a reporter for WGBS, which would have been more indicative of the Silver Age. Um, but, uh, say la vie. What, what is, um, you know, we 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 have what we have, and um, this origin, the origins, the origin is uh, interesting. It makes it really does make Booster seem like more of a douche, though. Than we we get a a little bit more fleshed out version in the as as, as I mentioned in the Secret Origins issue, covering Booster's origin. But this issue really does sort of reading it. I'm like, oh yeah, Superman is totally justified in the way that he's upset that Booster's a superhero through theft and coming back in time and and uh, from stealing artifacts from his time and coming back to our time or to the night night 1986 it's not not our time anymore um and also being upset that booster's here to try to get rich as well as being a superhero i mean i mean and these are the qualities of booster that we love but actually what i really love is the booster who's gotten past this which is i mean i really enjoy the volume one but it's the volume two booster who's who won my heart and why I really, really fell in love with the character and went back and discovered and, and read volume one. But, and, and this is a character who is very much still sort of in the, in the money-making and, and, uh, but he's always wanted to be a superhero or from issue one, I'm not going to say his entire life, but as from when we meet booster, he's, he wants to be a genuine hero and help people, but if he can make a buck along the way, he's going to do it. And um, here, we it just, it's really brought to the forefront. And I think Superman is completely justified. And I can, and I totally understand where Superman is coming from, where he's he questions the motives of somebody who would think um, and have the uh, the motivations that Booster has. But so I want to jump all the way to the back. So. Oh, the other thing about the origin is um, it's sort of interesting to me that because Jurgens was tying um, Booster so closely to Superman, at least initially, before he had to redo it, that Booster grew up and is living in, in Gotham City and is attending Gotham University. Um, it's I, you know I my one of my initial thoughts was why wasn't he in Metropolis, where Superman is? But maybe it's because. Per the per the story that Jurgens was telling, he Booster needed to, needed to get out of town. He was he had this uh, this gambling on his on sports games and his games in particular issue and the scandal and he and he needed to leave town. So he wanted him to come to Metropolis. So if he needs if he's going to come to Metropolis, he has that means he has to come from somewhere else. And I guess you make that Gotham City. Uh, so I guess maybe I've answered my own question why Booster didn't, it wasn't Metropolis that he was, he was in. Oh, the other thing that I wanted to mention is that in the original, uh, pages that we get in the back of the book, it was, there was like a hologram that was showing some heroes and we see in the actual issue, we see Batman, but in the original pencils, it was the Flash. Um, just sort of like, a you can imagine being in a museum and like a display showing these are the heroes of the 20th century and, 
and uh, scrolling scrolling through heroes or whatever. But the panel that at the time that you know in the sequence of time, the panel would have captured the moment that in the actual issue we see Batman. But in the pre-crisis or in the uh, our, our, the original pencils, it was the Flash. I think the Flash works better. I just get tired of Batman always being in in things I'm reading when I'm not reading Batman. He just shows up and. Um, I just would have liked to have seen the Flash, and even in the back matter, Jurgen says that he changed it to Batman. Uh, I believe at the request of DC, because Batman was the more is even then Batman was the more popular character, and this was '86 or maybe early '87, so it would have been right at you know the Dark Knight Returns and Killing Joke time frame. Um, but jumping back to the beginning of the the issue, we have. I've, I've been reading the Indian in the covered books with my son. And so when we, at the opening of the issue, when we have, you know, a three or four inch tall alien, I couldn't help. And, and also a, a adolescent boy. I couldn't help, but just think of Indian in the cover. Now I doubt Dan Jurgens was even aware of it. I, I think Indian in the cover was out at this time or it would have been, it came out mid to late eighties. So it might not have been out, but either way, the similarities were didn't go unnoticed by me. It really felt like uh, I, I got serious Indian in the covered vibes here, and this boy is trying to keep his this little alien secret from his mom. Um, that was just funny. So we go to, and then uh, it's it, it's it's funny that uh, Jason goes to when when he goes to Booster's offices to meet with Booster to talk about the alien. They're in this big giant room. This computer this computer mainframe room and Jason's saying, or I'm not sure. I forget if it was a thought bubble or if he said it out loud, how cool this room is. Oh, it, it must've been out loud because then we get a thought bubble from booster that little does he know that this is all just set for when uh, the media appearances. So quite a ways to go, quite a, quite a stretch to have this big, you know, sophisticated uh, technological room. That's just a set, uh, sort of goes to show the pompous nature of Booster as as his character was. Um, he hadn't made that he hadn't made that transition and uh, to to what I would say is post post his vices. I mean he never is po- completely post and nor nor would I want him to be. He's he's the character who if he can make a buck, if he's gonna if, if he can shoot a commercial he would, but to out and out have a room that is supposed to trick the public into thinking you're more sophisticated and te- te- technological than you are. It's sort of, I don't know. I mean, it made me chuckle though. It, it, yeah, it definitely made me chuckle. And it's kind of crazy that Booster couldn't think of any better way to get in touch, touch with Superman than to fake a, uh, fake a earth threatening, um, and, um, situation. You'd, you'd think Booster would be smarter than that or come up with a better scenario that Superman is... First of all, it's going to be obvious right away that there's no there's no threat. Um, I find, You'd think that Superman might even be just be willing to meet with, with Booster. They're both heroes. Booster is a new hero in town. You'd think that Superman might, even, might have even been willing to meet with him. But Booster concocted this story, and it worked. It got Superman to the dam, but it definitely didn't put booster in any better light and um you know start off on the start off on a bad foot and then you get the origin from skeets which really sort of makes puts booster in a bad light i'm not surprised at superman's reactions i gotta say i 
I think it's a good issue. Um, some, 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 it's not a perfect issue, but it's a good issue. And we, we are teased with uh, Superman and, and Booster and Jason and Z, the alien, being abducted and, and taken to uh, in, in prison on an alien planet. And that's where we leave this issue. And so that's where I'll pick up. I'm not sure if I'm going to talk Booster Gold on uh, number seven next time or not. I might jump around a little bit in the booster coverage. I'm just happen to be doing two issues or two episodes back to back that are covering volume one. But hey, my show, I can jump around if that's what the muse has me do. But I am trying to finish this hardcover. Uh, so I might as well podcast about it. So maybe it will be the the next issues. Probably if, if it is, it'll be issues seven and eight. Um, oh, got to say it. Got to say it again. Booster still has his cape in this issue. So, yet again, yet again with the cape, it has not gone the way of the dodo yet. And that's the coverage, that's Booster Gold coverage for this month. So let's move on to Superman. For the Superman segment, I am going to be discussing the new movie, the Superman Man of Tomorrow movie that has was released digitally last or um, this past, I believe it was Saturday. Um, the Blu-ray and the physical media versions of the movie don't still don't come out until I believe September eighth, but the digital version came out, and there's no special features or anything. Like I didn't. Uh, the packaging, the art, nothing was like calling to me that I needed to own this physically. So, bought it through Google Play and checked it out. It so the synopsis is Clark is an intern at the planet. Lobo shows up looking for Superman to collect his bounty, and they inadvertently create Parasite, who eventually becomes the primary villain of the piece, and to, they have to defeat uh, Parasite in the climax of the film. So that's just the high level. I'm going to talk a lot, a lot about nitty gritty. I watched the movie twice. I watched it once just over the weekend just to enjoy it, my, my, my first viewing. Then I figured, well, I might as well podcast about this movie, uh, talk about it on the next episode. And so then I watched it again and took notes uh, throughout watching it. I suppose I probably could have just uh, recorded a commentary because <laughs> I have a lot of notes um, that and they're going to go pretty much in chronological order of the movie because I was taking the notes while I watched the movie. Uh, but I have a few, just a couple of overall um, notes. Overall, I really enjoyed this. It's unlike other DC animated movies, and it probably, it's, it's rated PG-13, um, but it's not it's not as um, bad for kids, I think, as other movies. Like, I just, the most recent one, Justice League Dark, uh, Apocalypse War, I believe it was. It was the end of the New 52 
version um, animated universe basically and that movie was pretty gruesome in some parts um, although Lobo throws out a goddamn at one point and Parasite does kill some people pretty gruesomely kind of I mean he's a parasite he takes he's after he zaps their energy and leaves them usually a husk of their of their cells and that's usually, usually gruesome as well and we see Martian Manhunter quote unquote die, which spoilers, I'm going to be spoiling this movie. Um, so actually listen to it. Listen, listen to all my, all my notes after you've watched it, unless you don't plan on watching it. Uh, cause I'm going to spoil, uh, give, I'm going to spoil it, but we see Martian Manhunter die. He doesn't actually die. We find out, but it looks like he dies and that could be sort of surprising and not traumatic. That's too big of a word, but, um, maybe, maybe, maybe not something you want super little kids to see. Um, so maybe, maybe, maybe after all the PG 13 is warranted, but either way it, I don't think that it was, it's, uh, it, it could be a strong PG if they took out as it is, it should be a PG 13 because there is a little bit of mild swearing. Uh, if they, if they took out the swearing, it probably could be a PG movie. Um, this is the first original of the ever since 2007 we've had what four or five dedicated superman um of these dc animated movies starting with uh with superman doomsday the first uh telling of the death and return of superman and then we had superman unbound superman versus the elite and all-Star Superman, Superman, um, Death and Return, the two-part. We get Superman Red Sun, but every one of those was based on something else, based on a comic book storyline. Um, so this is the first one that's original. Now, it takes bits and pieces from different things. Superman American Alien, pretty heavily, actually. Um, the It wasn't the same Parasite. But uh, the uh, Earth One, Volume Two. I mean, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say that using the parasite is taken from Earth One, Volume Two. But um, that's what it just reminds me of because it was a young Superman in that, and uh, Parasite is the big villain of Volume Two. But this is the first original one, and so that was refreshing. And it was only during the second viewing, like uh, about a quarter of the way through, I realized, oh hey, this is actually not based on, like i mean i knew this one wasn't based on anything but it was the realization that every other um one of these uh dc animated universe movies has been based on something else and before you go oh danny what about superman shazam return of black adam well that was a short it was like um you know an, a single episode of tv length it was like 22 minutes or something and so yes that was original but I, f I feel like that was a team up and it was it wasn't solo so I'm talking about just the solo S Superman dedicated movies um, this is the first one that was totally totally original all right so let's start getting into some of the specific notes the opening scene with Clark I think as a as a young kid is unnecessary and it's and it's on the nose because they're watching Clark and Pete are watching um old movie and there's fear of aliens in the movie and this upsets Clark and he cries and he has to go home and it's this entire scene is fine, but it didn't need to be here. And it's, we cut very quickly to Superman, uh, Clark 
getting dressed in his apartment as he's a, he's an adult and that entire opening just could have been cut out i don't know why i mean we get we that's our first time getting introduced to ma and pa kent but i don't feel like it would have been jarring to see them later on uh, their first introduction so i don't i think the scene could have gone and so let's talk about the visual style of the movie a little bit. There's there's this heavy black lines around all of the characters. It really reminds it has a distinct visual style, and it really reminds me of sort of a, a motion comic. If you've ever seen when comic companies were dabbling with the motion comics, there's a a Watchmen motion comic. I think there's actually a Superman Red Sun motion comic. And this art style of this movie really sort of feels like. I mean, on one hand, it's a, it's good. These are super. These are comic book characters, and so it sort of has a comic art aesthetic to it. But it also looks a little bit simplistic, and um, I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't. I mean, it 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 definitely has a distinct look. That's for sure. Although, as I I wrote in my notes, like the more I watched the film the more I got used to it and sort of appreciated it and as being original. Um, and so I, I, I don't know. I, what would I have liked it to be more of a more fluid tr- traditional style? I don't know. It, it actually kind of, on one hand, I think yes, but on the other hand, it does give it a unique look. And I sort of like when the, the movies have a unique look. They, they dropped for a while. They were trying to retain the art style of the comic they were adapting and they dropped that after a while, and they became sort of a house DC animated universe style. And this doesn't have that, so it's unique. So I gotta give it credit. Gotta give it credit for that. Um, if we are going to get Clark as a boy, I would have liked to have seen him being shown his ship. We don't see this um, in here, even though we see some scenes or a, a couple of scenes when Clark's a boy at the beginning. We don't see him finding a ship or being shown his ship by his parents. I would have liked to have seen that, I think. And um, we just see him playing with the weird pyramid thing. I like seeing Ron Troop in this. And it's interesting here in this version that he's the veteran and Clark is the the veteran at the Daily Planet and Clark's the young newbie and uh, the intern. I, I, I like Darren Chris as Superman. The, um, I, I'm not familiar with him and anything else, really. But he has a young quality to his voice, and this is a younger Superman, and it works. I liked Zachary Quinto as Lex Luthor. I, th- I think he worked really well. He's very distinctive. Um, he has a dis- very distinctive voice. Like, I mean, if you've seen Zachary Quinto um, in things, you know, Spock in the new Star Trek movies and whatnot, uh, it's very easy to identify who's doing the voice. Um, and but but I I think he works. I think he probably works better than. Um, then shoot, I'm at the tip, tip of my tongue, the person who did the Lex Luthor in Death, The Death and Return of, Su- of Superman two-part movie. Um, uh, Dwight Schrute from The Office. Shoot, I can't think of the actor's name. It'll pop up to me in a few minutes while I'm talking, probably. Um, it's funny how everybody calls Clark Coffee Boy in this. That just made me laugh. The colors are great and very vibrant in this. I, so as much as I was complaining of, you know, criticizing the art style as maybe being the animation being a little simplistic maybe and and the black lines are make it really sort of has this comic book aesthetic the colors are super vibrant and it really this this movie pops i think and it looks great um 
I had to laugh out loud at the uh, lowering of the glasses to use his x-ray vision. Really reminded me he got some Lois and Clark vibes there. I only caught that in the second viewing. I didn't catch that on the first viewing. I don't even know if it was just a shout-out to Lois and Clark on purpose, but I definitely got a uh, Lois and Clark vibe from it. Um, then I thought I'd be annoyed at the Martian Manhunter being in this because... Again, it felt like it was taking, when I saw the trailers, it felt like it was taking maybe some focus off Superman, but I'm not. I think he works. I think he works in the film, and I enjoy him. And he looks pretty badass in his, in his uh, when, when, when he's in his Martian Manhunter uh, form. We also see him in his, like, true Martian form earlier on, and that's pretty uh, horrific. Like, scare kids, maybe. Um, really has an alien look to him. Uh, I mean, he is an alien. He's a Martian. But... He's pretty scary in his uh, in his uh, original form, uh, but in his in the Martian Manhunter with his the co- the the uniform, he looks pretty badass. Like the red parts of his costume look like they could be tattoos, kind of. Uh, I mean, it's not like a tribal or anything, but it it just he has a cool look. I think um, I'm pretty much indifferent to them to the American Alien inspired proto suit, like with the goggles and whatnot i don't know it doesn't bother me it doesn't doesn't make me excited but it doesn't bother me um the scene where he discovers his solar power his solar power powers that where he discovers that solar power powers him up is a really cool scene just just from a visual um animation standpoint it's kind of awe-inspiring like it's it it's it's a really uh great looking scene I like that Lois is a scrappy, a scrappy young grad student in this. I, I mean, it works for me that Lois and Clark are both young here, and they're not at the top of their game. Lois is, Lois gets criticized by the the, the Daily Planet staff when Perry con- congratulates her on doing a good work, and and it's revealed that she's a grad student, and the rest of the office is like, grad student really, and they, you know, they're not sure if Lois is worthy of the admiration that Perry's giving her, and she's got to work for it. She's not already at the. You, normally, we see Lois at the top of her game. She's even when Superman has been introduced, as and Clark has come to the planet fresh and new. She's. It's pretty common for her already to be established, um, and to be one of the top reporters that maybe Clark is chasing to be like uh, or a rival. But here, she's she's got young and she's scrappy and she's got something to prove also. And I think that really works. I think it works here. Uh, I actually. I, I like her look with the cargo pants and heels. It works for me in, in this. And even though I'm not crazy about Clark being inspired by anything Batman-related, it's funny that he's smitten with Lois, and she likes Batman's cape. So Clark, obviously, wants to try a cape on as well. And throughout the throughout the movie, we get Clark wanting a cape until eventually uh, the super suit that Ma Cat makes has a cape, and he likes that because he knows that Lois is probably going to like it. Um, I thought I would find Lobo pretty annoying, but I don't. Lobo works for me here. When I uh, again the trailers, when I watched the trailers, I thought I don't know about Lobo in this, but it works. I like the voice actor for Lobo quite a bit. Uh, Ryan Hurst is his name, but I don't, and I don't really know anything. I don't. He's not familiar to me, but I think his work, his voice work in this is really good. For it fits Lobo quite a bit. One thing I wish is that there was a distinct Superman theme here. And there isn't. There's no theme uh, that I could discern, really, that was memorable. Uh, unlike, I can hear the death of, or the um, Superman Doomsday theme in my head, which I used again for, I believe, Superman um, 
versus the elite. I think they use that theme again there. So I, I don't think he's had a really distinctive animated theme for a while. I mean, they used the same one theme over two movies, uh, Superman Doomsday and um, Superman versus the elite. I believe it was Superman versus the elite where it popped up a second time. But again, I would have liked to have had a more distinctive Superman theme here, but eh, alas, we didn't we didn't get one. So there's not really a I, I I don't know if there's a score available for this, but this, the the music was fine, serviceable, but it didn't, it didn't stand out to me. So there's nothing really for me to like. I, I'm not looking to go and try to track this down or see if it's available to purchase. I want to know who, so Lobo comes to Earth looking for Superman, the Kryptonian, and he's a bounty hunter. And so that means somebody put a bounty on Superman's head. And I don't, I'm curious at who that was. I mean, it's not really brought up or discussed or it's not really, an, but it's just something that popped in my head when I, you know, Lobo is a bounty hunter here. And what's his, who put the bounty on Superman? I don't know. I like that, um... That Clark doesn't think that suit that the him being called Superman is going to catch on it made me laugh because obviously we know we all know it's going to laugh. Um, shout out to the voice actress playing Lois, Ale- Alexandri Daddario. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm probably not. I'm not familiar with her work at all. But again, as I was mentioning earlier, she, Lois has got a scrappy young. A young um, somebody with something to prove, but knows she can prove it. Quality to her, and the voice actress really uh, fits fits that role well. I enjoy, and this is going to be um, a statement that I know many people disagree with, but I enjoy the skeptical Jonathan Kent, skeptical that Clark should reveal himself, skeptical because I can really relate to it as a father. I want to protect my kids. And Clark letting himself be known to the world and how's the world going to take it is really tough. And you want to protect your children. And a lot of people have a complaint. I mean, Man of Steel um, complaints abound. I'm in the minority. I mean, I did a whole episode defending Man of Steel, and that was one of my big points. And I have it here because it's present in this movie is that we have the Jonathan who's not sure if Clark should reveal himself and be the person and be what we know he's going to be. And Superman just, Clark has this need to help people, and he's going to, but I can totally relate to a father wanting to protect his kids, and he's not sure that he should use his talent, use his abilities to save people if it's going to put him himself in danger. Maybe not physically, but public reaction, like what's going to happen. Like, you, you just fear for your children, and I can relate. I'm not going to labor on about it. You can listen to my thoughts on the Man of Steel episode as well, but... I think a skeptical Jonathan for Clark revealing himself works. I, I would like the homage to the uh, to the to Superman the movie and the hologram. Uh, we have uh, Martian Manhunter comes to the the Kent farm, and he's the one who actually shows Superman how to use this uh, Kryptonian um, pyramid, this little handheld. I mean, it's only you can fit in the palm of your hand, but it's the shape of like a pyramid. Although I'm not sure the exact like. A pyramid, like, you know, like the Egyptian pyramids have four sides. Like, what do you call it when it's only got three sides? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure, but I still call it a pyramid. <laughs> um, but when the uh, the holograms that are able to be projected from this thing, we see 
we see Jor-El and Lara and putting him in the, uh, um, the uh, getting ready to send him off. But then we also see Clark sitting, um, using this using this uh, pyramid, and we see like a, a, a crystals and a dome. Really reminds me of Superman the movie. It's got to be a shout out to Superman the movie. Martian Manhunter sort of echoes in this movie, uh, at least at first, um, Jonathan's views that that it's important to stay hidden. And if, if he says, if we remain hidden, we live. There's rampant xenophobia. And that's real. Those are real issues. And I like that there are characters, that there's characters with different viewpoints who we know Superman is going to reveal himself. But the doubts, I, I like having the doubts and characters around him who's doubting. And, and in, even even with that, he still overcomes it and wants to become a public figure. It seems it seems more real to me, I think. But he but Marshall Manhunter recognizes that Clark is an optimist. And uh, Ma makes the costume and copied she she says she copied Batman. Ugh. She says that she uses um, the blanket and crest that um, came from in that was found with Clark but that for the way the costume looks in general, she just copied the Batman. And I don't know. I don't like Superman being inspired. I don't think Superman needs to inspire Batman, but I don't want Batman inspiring Superman either. I sort of want them to be independent of, of each other. And I, I, let me just say that I like that Ma and Pa are still alive. And I have to say that because you never know what version you're in, in various iterations, like what the writers are going to do, if they're going to have the parents not be alive or if they're going to be alive. Although in the animated form, they're, they've typically been alive um, in, in, in the animated movies. I mean, they were definitely alive in the Death or Return of Superman two-part movie. I'm trying to think. Red Sun was its own Elseworlds type thing. But typically in animation, the Kents have been alive. Like I, I think I think the writers of animation and, and film – well, film not so much because Jonathan dies, but and but Martha's still alive, and I think the writers recognize that Clark having his parents, either both of them or one, I prefer both, but like having one or both parents alive really works story wise, and it it sets Superman apart, like it sets him apart from Batman, it sets him apart from a lot of other characters. He has these, he has this home life that was a nice home. He he grew up from in, in in a nice home, and it gave it instilled his values, and they're still there. His parents are still there for him to go talk to and converse with and and bounce ideas off of and and be there for him during troubled times and he can they can be his rock superman is the rock and the pillar of hope for the world but even superman has has those individuals who are that for him and so i I just like when they're alive and so we have that we have that here um so let's start talking about parasite a little bit i really like the the parasite design in this and um, before I actually start talking about Parasite uh, too much, I'll say that it's Lobo. He has some alien, an alien bomb thing that sort of causes Parasite to become Parasite. But I like the Parasite design up until a point, up until he goes all reptile. And once he does, it just doesn't work for me. Like, the, And what I mean, if you look at this, even the front cover of the of for this movie... The parasite, they gave this parasite like a, a reptilian like head and um, spines like and uh, it just doesn't work. I don't, and he's supposed to be a human. He's supposed to be like sort of a mutated like a, 
Like he, but here, like he's like basically, he's, it's almost like he's transformed into an animal and he's turning more animalistic as he goes on, and that just doesn't work for me. He really does look 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 like a lizard. The more and more more into the movie it goes, I mean, I still enjoy the movie, but I wish they would have just used a different design for for Parasite. Um, and 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 with Parasite growing super large at the end, it really is like the Roland. The Roland Emmerich Godzilla from 1998. If for those of you who remember that movie, the Godzilla in that movie is basically Parasite in this movie at the end. Um, no feet for Parasite was an odd design choice. It just, I don't know why they did that. Like no, no feet just looks weird. It looks like he's walking on these pegs. It, it sort of just looks weird. One thing I didn't mention when I was talking about Ma, the, the Superman suit, um, was I really didn't talk about the look of it. It really is a classic look, and I think it looks pretty sharp. The only thing I don't really like, and I'm not crazy about, is the belt, uh, the belt and um, and briefs area. Um, I, I wish that it the S wasn't. I mean, I think there's like two things that stand out, and otherwise I have zero complaints. It looks like a, it's a pretty good looking suit, but the S on the belt doesn't work for me. I don't like it. I don't hate it. Like absolutely, like like like. Uh, throw up in a wastebasket hate it but i'm not crazy about the s on the belt and i don't I, I i wish that the belt loops were yellow um instead of instead of uh, the blue here it's just, the blue just doesn't work for me um i mean it's fine i suppose but yellow would have popped more in the torso area i mean we had the yellow from the s belt buckle but i think the uh the belt loops are blue and i think they would have um it would have worked much better if, if it was, or I guess you could say the loops are red and you're seeing the blue underneath the costume or underneath the belt. Either way, the what we traditionally think of as like yellow belt loops here are drawn blue, and I think it would have worked. It would, would have popped more if it was yellow. It would have and it would have looked better. I gotta say, I there's a scene with Lois. She comes to visit Clark um, in his apartment. And she's got this bohemian look, and it's, it's this is after the first parasite battle in Clark's apartment. And I don't her this world look just doesn't work for me. Um, I think it's the the animators trying to show that she's younger. This doesn't work. She's got the, this look that I associate with just the younger generation, which makes me feel old. I mean, I'm only thirty four, but this like just this loose hat, this um this oversized hat, but it's like not on the head all the way. And it's summer in this movie, I think. I don't even like, but it's sort of a, it's a look. And, and I guess I'm just showing my old man age at 30, the ripe old age of 34. Although we all, I'll, I'll, I'll be 35 in a couple weeks. But the, the, the look in the scene for Lois just doesn't work for me. In, in general though, I think Lois looks uh, really, really, really good looking uh, throughout, especially as I mentioned in the cargo pants with the heels. Um, um, and I, they worked in the truth and justice line without calling attention to not including the American way. And they did it much better than Superman Returns. Superman Returns sort of went out of its way to, to let you know, hey, we're not including the American way in this. And, and, and this doesn't. Lois, I forget the exact line. I, did, I didn't put it in my notes, but Lois sort of calls out that he's there for, you know, Superman or however she was wording it about truth and justice. And, uh, 
and, it, and the line really works how it's presented in this movie. It's a shame. I, I should have wrote it down. I didn't write down the exact line, but it works so well in this movie that you don't even realize that she didn't include in the American way. It just works. And I think Superman should be for truth and justice. I don't think he needs to be, be for even the American way because what is that even, what is the American way? And that changes over time, but truth and justice sort of are Im, Im, immutable and they don't really change. And I think it, it works for, for Superman for all time. There's no debate. Like what does the American way mean? Is it patriotic to include it? Is it patriotic to not include it? <laughs> Should Superman even be patriotic? I mean, he, there's the, there's debates like should he be a citizen of the world or should he be American? And, and I think you can get in. I'm not one where I'm tied to the American way, and and this movie just did that well, and it did it definitely better than Superman Returns, I'd say. So in this movie, the S symbol is from Krypton, but it's not it's not uh, explained where it, what it means. It doesn't mean hope, or they 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 didn't say it means hope. It just uh, it's. It's Kryptonian in nature, but we don't know why it's Kryptonian, or, or we 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 don't know its meaning in Kryptonian culture. Uh, but we do know that the S is wasn't just made up by Mom Pa or um, drawn by Superman or something. But it's Kryptonian, but it wasn't described at all what it is. I found that interesting. It would have been would have liked an explanation. I think um, towards the, towards the end of the movie, I like that Lex was brought back in, and we get a sort of Superman Lex and Lobo team up, and they team up against parasite um although we know of course this is lex he's gonna probably betray superman and that no surprise when he does this movie didn't have jimmy olsen at all and it didn't miss him i mean i guess maybe it's because it's was it's set early in superman and lois's careers and jimmy is typically even younger than them so it would have been odd if Jimmy was there because they're already like, if this was an established Lois and Clark, then you'd probably would, I would like a Jimmy there. I I'm, I'm a Jimmy fan. I like, a, I like Jimmy and I would have, but in just given where the point in the story that we're seeing and the point of point in the character's lives sort of makes sense that there is no Jimmy. I really like Superman's speech at the end of the film declare like uh, during the battle with Parasite and he's talking to the crowd and, the world as um, in general, but specifically the crowd that's there and declaring that he's an alien that he comes and then he comes in peace and basically alleviating fears that he's there to do harm or to rule or anything. And I, I thought it was done really well. And Man of Steel, you know, I really like Man of Steel, but it probably could have stood for, or Batman v Superman, maybe, maybe it would fit there too. And cause Superman, I mean, didn't have a chance to speak at the uh, Senate hearing. It gets blown up, explosion. But if there would, it would have been nice if there was something like this, where Superman can say this to the to this to this um, to the world, and that would actually would explain the turn that we see Bruce have and Batman v Superman, which even I think does come out of nowhere, kind of. I mean, there's the Martha connection, but it does seem to come out of nowhere, and I think it works really well here. So it's it's funny. It's not like a um, I've said it a few times where I think this movie does some some things better than the live action movies and the live action depictions or, um, so yeah they, they overall this was a, this is a good movie. Um, it's funny we they hint at Lobo killing his whole race as is in the comics with Superman killing all or Lobo killing all the Zarnians, um, but then Lobo says it was a joke here. I, I, I don't think they wanted to be that dark, but they did want to point out. And call the attention that here we have scenes with Martian Manhunter, Superman, and Lobo, who are all supposed to be the last of their race. And um, Lobo 
sort of implies that maybe they aren't and sets up maybe future sequels in this universe. I don't know. I don't know where that's going to go. It could have just been a one and done. I wouldn't. I mean, I don't. I'd like to. I don't know if I would want to see. I, I probably would want to see some more movies in this universe. But if we see more more movies in this universe, then that means we're missing out on maybe some some other some other movies that could depict something even y- unique. Because I think that's what works for this movie is that it's it's unique. It's it has a it's not in a universe that's been um, established before. It's new. It's doing its own thing. Uh, but. A sequel would probably be uh, pretty good, maybe in the exact same style with the same voices. I wouldn't mind it. Um, and in uh, in the end, we get Clark smirking uh, right at the end after having a conversation with Lois, and we get smirking, and it really reminded me of George Reeves or classic Silver Age. So there you have it. This is sort of my notes, my rundown on my thoughts. Uh, Superman, Man of Tomorrow, 2020 animated film. I thought it was, I think it's a good film. Check it out if you haven't. Uh, although if you, I just spoiled a lot of it. And so hopefully you have, if you're listening to this. Um, so I think, I'm not sure what I'm going to talk about next time. We will see. I already, I know what I'm going to talk about in October. Uh, some, some, uh, We'll we'll leave that as it is for now. But I know what I'm going to talk about in October for the podcast, and I don't know what my September episode is going to be about. But I hope all of you are ha- had a great summer, and it's crazy that it's already winding down. And I hope everyone is staying safe with COVID and everything, and family members and everything. Everybody's staying safe and doing well, and I hope everybody is doing doing great out there and it's been a challenging year and uh it's gonna be it's crazy kids school starting up kids wearing masks at school like it's a whole new ball game but i will see you next time